Hey everyone, welcome back to Banter Banter. The show where sometimes media tells us a little bit too much and we read a little bit too much into that and it just becomes this horrible mess. I'm one of your hosts, Manny. I'm another one of your hosts, Mike. Tonight, we're kind of on a fast track. Maybe we have too much to talk about, so we're just not going to introduce Aaron. Uh, Unfortunately, that means he's not going to be able to speak. As the curse goes with podcasts hosts. I've muted him and he can't fix it. I was looking around at several old cartoons because that's what the aging generation does as they go along. I'm going to say you get past the age of 27 and you start looking at stuff from when you were younger and all them member berries start coming in, you know? I remember. <laughs> So something I noticed was that we're kind of hitting a milestone. I know we usually tend to do the like old enough to drink, old enough to rent a car things. And this one doesn't really fall into any of those because of the weird place that it's at. But Captain Planet this September is going to turn 31 as a show. And I guess it fits into a more square peg if you consider that... Sometime next week, May 11th, will be 25 years since it was cancelled. So, quite literally, a quarter century since we last saw an episode of Captain Planet. At least a new one. I would have to say, the claim in the theme song was totally incorrect. And I am now fact-checking them. Captain Planet did not actually reduce pollution. To zero. I'm sorry, but I've got to call you out, Captain Planet. You didn't fulfill your statement to us. I mean, unless you talk maybe the Planeteers, they didn't summon him enough. Maybe they didn't do enough because... They didn't have the heart? Exactly. (laughs) Or maybe because Hanna-Barbera needed to save on animation. Probably. And I think you're right. I should blame the Planeteers because Captain Planet needed them to make him become reality. So, without them, he's nothing. He's just five rings. He's a genie split into five rings. Man, that's gotta really suck to be a genie trapped in five different rings, and you need five people to summon you all at the same time so that you can actually do stuff? Ugh. Captain, what are you doing? Do you think him and the Robin Williams genie should team up and find maybe the blue creature from... Eiffel 65 song, and they can be a new Blue Man group? I would accept that and be interested to hear their music, see their show. It would be flashy, I could probably imagine. But then you'd always have the Planeteers in the wings, and, you know, humans would just cramp the style of that many genies. You know, what with slightly controlling them and such. And you know what really got me about that show was that it came out during a time where, at least in our generation, you could tell it came down from several federal movements, at least in the U.S., I noticed, to try and make children's programming have some sort of a moral lesson. And while with some cartoon series, like, let's say, The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, you'd wind up with such quotable lines as Sonic telling you not to let somebody touch you in a way you're not comfortable with, and how that's no good. 
Oh, Jaleel White. <laughs> it did result, though, in a few efforts of actually educational programming. And, you know, a lot of it did come from PBS, or at least made a lot of its appearance within that network, which I guess doesn't necessarily always count. But there were a few really entertaining shows that did break the mold, like Magic School Bus or any of the Carmen Sandiego things. I know there was a game show on PBS, but there were also several animated things. Oh, man. Yes, I loved that game show. The opening, I think, was the best. Oh, the acapella group? Yes. Jamming it out? I know. That was totally the best. It was one of the hooks about me watching the show. That and I think it was a fun history and geography lesson, as well as, like, keeps you entertained instead of what was more prevalent back then in game shows aimed more towards teens and kids were the Double Dare and Guts. Yeah, okay. The athletic jumpy games as game shows in comparison to, like, Carmen Sandiego. But I guess my point in it is that Captain Planet was, I guess, a non-PBS iteration of this sort of educational entertainment where it was like your typical Saturday morning formula, but it was very ecocentric. And I kind of want to point out that in the political field, you have people who aren't so open to the idea that there is an impact that our species is having on the planet with, you know, industrialization and maybe the amount of civilization spread out across the face of the planet. And I feel like from their perspective, maybe they don't understand where people who at least are more willing to admit that there is some sort of an impact, where we're getting it from. But we were raised on this sort of stuff, just like Captain Planet stuff. They had some lame villain names. <laughs> yes, they did. Let me read a few for you. There's some that are a little weird, like Zarm, Mal, but then you get Venomous Scum, voiced by Jeff Goldblum. Well, you know, appropriate. You get Sly Sludge, voiced by Jim Cummings. Jim, I don't know any of your previous work off the top of my head. I'm not going to critique you one way or the other. Think Pete from any core Disney franchise. You mean like from Pete and Pete? Uh, Which Pete was he? Was he the tall Pete or the short Pete? He's typically adversarial to like Mickey and Goofy. He's the large cat. I now know who you're talking about. I feel like he should have a cigar in his mouth. Also, he did voice the centaur in Hercules, the Disney animated movie. Oh, well done, sir. I liked your work. Now, for a few where the voice actors aren't quite as prolific, we do have Luton Plunder. <laughs> I feel like that is a cheesy tabletop RPG character name. There's also Hoggish Greedly. <laughs> I remember him. He was always wearing flip-flops and like a Hawaiian shirt and a swimsuit. And he was a pig face. Like, come on, guys. And I'll leave it off at this because I could keep going on the villain names and just list them all off. But my particular favorite, Duke Nukem. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did they get sued? <laughs> no, they were fine. They didn't get sued for using a video game character's name? I don't think it was quite as prolific. It was interesting. It was entertaining. I liked it, and I kind of think it feeds into the tapestry of 
at least the sensibilities that I have for that sort of, I guess, awareness towards the environment. I will say that in doing a little bit of digging about things happening in the 90s that were leading up to and encompassing the existence of Captain Planet, in the early 1990, there was a Gallup poll that found 76% of Americans called themselves environmentalists. I guess I could see how that kind of mentality, the slow buildup from probably the late 80s rolling into the 90s, helped create an environment on top of other things happening that in turn give us this show. Yeah. And then the fallout from that. I definitely feel that it stopped having the forefront issue. Like, we just as a society got fatigued and we're like, nah, there's gotta be something else that can be important now too. Because I can't see the water level rising. I have to agree with you. I think that there is a shift in our entertainment to where what I notice we have a lot of in our animated entertainment is we seem to have a lot more messages about self-care, kind of a new awareness towards mental well-being. I think we could probably agree that we both enjoyed us some Captain Planet, at least passingly, but... For sure. I can say that I recognize several of the characters when you said their names as the villains. Like, I actually remember them. But that does lead me to think about how you were saying we sort of, as a society, got bored of having these sort of messages so upfront, and how basically just our day-to-day lives went on to accept minor forms of pollution. To do a not-so-subtle segue, just our consumption of plastic products, and you hear news stories about how little shreds of microplastics are now being found inside of our seafood because fish consume these in passing, and in turn that winds up at our meal plates. Well, I read this article uh, about a scientist, Dr. Swan, was it? She had done a study by amalgamating the data from several other studies that have discovered that there's a chemical that helps to make our plastics more flexible, phthalate. Well, it seems to have found its way into a lot of our water. Traces of plastic chemicals have been found in, like, our food. What I'm trying to get to is, it seems that this might be affecting newer born male children, as they seem to be having smaller genitals. So, I don't know. I feel like... This is sort of a domino effect of causality with the world or kind of the universe just saying, oh, okay, all right, you want to just keep making as much trash and being wasteful the way you are? Maybe, uh, what do y'all seem to be proud of? Oh, you're, you're junk. Oh, it'd be a shame if maybe this thing did something to that. Oh, man, what a way to impact the entire human <laughs> species everybody's penis shrinks. I mean, that impacts men and women. Everybody suffers. And I know as a society, we've started addressing toxic masculinity, but that sort of attitude... Brings a whole new level to that toxic. (laughs) That sort of attitude is still very pervasive. And I find it almost... Oh, sorry, I was saying the toxins are shrinking the masculinity. Yeah. 
no, I, I got that. Um, isn't it almost kind of monkey's paw-ish, that lifestyle, that machismo that brought us through the 90s and into the 2000s that also had that we-do-whatever-we-want attitude that creates so much waste is now getting that masculinity and, I would say, crushing it? I feel like this is a movie come to fruition. We have had a lot of somewhat sci-fi-ish movies that depict a future version of what Earth looks like. And Children of Men just rings a bell with me on this lack of stuff for men. The, the penis shrinking probably includes some impact to fertility, which is something that has been proven that there has been a decrease in births across at least the United States, if not globally, as we see the repercussions of centuries of being a consumption society. I would almost say that started in the 20th century. We've had a few dips through economic recession, but overall, everything since the turn of the century has been at least in the capitalistic society, aimed towards extreme consumption and packaging, and that packaging creates waste. And we are a very wasteful nation, if not first world countries are mostly wasteful. But a lot of European countries have started taking steps to fight that. So go them. I wish we could get on board with that concept, because every little bit helps. It's worth the fight. Dr. Shauna Swan, who was doing the study, also went on to add, and I thought it was interesting that you were saying the thing about decreased birth rate. She published a study where she found that over the last 40 years, this was back in 2017, so back from 1977 to 2017, the sperm levels among Western countries had dropped more than 50%. This was a study involving 45,000 healthy men. So this is where she goes on to do some projections, so you could take this for whatever you want. But Dr. Swan projects that at that rate, that most men will be unable to produce viable sperm by 2045, which is pretty interesting information. Look, everybody, just because men can basically no longer impregnate women doesn't mean you shouldn't continue using condoms. STDs exist. Sharing is not caring. Yeah, it is quite interesting. And again, I can't help but to feel like this is some weird karmic payback for everything that they've done. I think this is a great opportunity. Really, what we should be doing is instead of saying, hey, guys, you're killing the planet by wasting, we should reframe it and say, Hey, guys, literally, guys, you're losing it because you keep buying lots of throwaway things. If you want to be a real man, <laughs> you should focus on recycling. And then, like, your stuff would grow again. And I feel like maybe that's the wrong take because that's feeding into toxic masculinity. And I shouldn't reinforce that because that's a bad way to go. But I think there is something that could be done about reframing it, because clearly the decades of us using the fight for the environment 
although it has had an impact, it hasn't been strong enough. Maybe we need to add an extra layer and show how they're hurting themselves. Wait, that might not work because we continue to hurt ourselves. Let me springboard off of what the kind of energy you were giving off here early on in that and kind of tie it in to a little video game from 1997. Final Fantasy VII, I think, kind of also had that sort of feel to it where because of how the people's main source of electrical energy came from pulling a resource from the earth and the process of which was slowly killing the planet Oil. Oil. it was a bit on the nose but you know gently spoon-fed to us in the same manner and how the conflict between that and genova weird alien creature that had its cells genetically spliced into who would be sephiroth kind of are a large-scale fantasy depiction of this struggle over this, as the game puts it, the life stream of the planet. Now, while I would say that oil, which produces plastics... Aside from other things... As well as fuels, since we were talking about plastics, the impact of which has a more roundabout effect than the Mako energy does in Final Fantasy VII. So I think it's kind of like giving the same message and in a blown-out fantasy sort of way telling us this story of what is basically happening here on our planet. They definitely dig into some unique topics in that, and there are a lot of great parallels, I would say. Which now you gotta wonder why the main protagonist and the antagonist have such big swords. Are they compensating because plastics? They are. They're just <laughs> jealous of each other. One's long and thin, and the other one's short and fat. Clearly, they are fighting over different territory. Toxic masculinity. Gah, Genova. Why you gotta do this to us? Right? It's like, you're sitting at home, minding your own business, and then there's a knock at the door, and it's like, uh, it's the Genova's witnesses again. Advent children, my butt. And you walk out onto your floating plastic island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and you're like, guys, really, you couldn't even ride a bicycle out here, unless that bicycle was made out of plastic. <laughs> Because that's all we have, is plastic. Could you get off my island? Yeah, which of course by that point, your floating island is probably where a large city like New Orleans or Houston or anything in Florida used to be at. Ugh. Imagine that many Florida men squeezed into less landmass. I shared that tool with you earlier before the recording, but it's kind of scary to look at the extreme example it's this tool from flood.firetree.net which uses google maps gps data and some information from nasa to help predict how much landmass we would have if the sea levels were to rise by a certain amount it is super unique looking at the different layers i know the current predicted impacts in the next hundred years. It doesn't seem drastic. When you look at the whole world, yeah. I used to live in a coastal city, and looking at where I used to live, with just five meters of sea level rise, there's a whole lot of it that has kind of been consumed. A whole new beachfront. 
I feel like I should actually be doing land moves here. You know, crank this up to like 20 meters. Start buying property that looks like it's going to be pretty close to beachfront, if not beachfront property. Have myself a killing. Just hold out, man. <laughs> I got to wait for that cybernetic body so that I can hold that land until 2200. Maybe you can keep your head in a jar like Walt Disney or like any of the historical figures in Futurama. Uh, you know, I think at that point I would just rather not because that's no fun. I would at least want to be able to roam around. I don't want to just sit in a jar and have somebody feed me fish flakes. They could kill me at any time. I can't defend myself. <laughs> Unfair. I'm basically a prisoner. What the rising sea level sort of reminded me of was the background setting and pre-story to Nintendo's competitive shooter franchise, Splatoon, where it takes place in the far distant future after a generically named catastrophe winds up having humanity wiped out because they didn't do anything to prevent it and this caused the sea levels to overtake the land all i need to know is this one thing how do i register with cryogenic labs freezing people and pets for resurrection in the future because i would like to put out an apb the moment somebody freezes their cat named judd i need to get off this planet that would be a terrible, terrible thing if something goes horribly wrong and, let's say, one of your doggos winds up being the only one surviving. Do you think it'll help the Inklings or the Octolings in the Great Turf War? <laughs> no, neither one of my dogs is smart enough to do that. <laughs> I think one of them would be too lazy to do it. He'd be like, I don't want to pick sides, you know, you just tell me who I need to hang out with in the aftermath, whatevs. Do I get food? We're cool. Do I get to go out and bark at things? We're cool. The other one, all you need is a laser pointer and that's it. You've captivated her for until she falls asleep. Feed occasionally. Could not referee anything or pick sides. <laughs> I don't know. Have you tried coercing with treats? Yeah, that's not. They're just not there. They're not they're not prepared for that. Sit and stay are pretty difficult. Yeah. I don't think referee, I can't teach referee. That's like a four-part system. Well, I don't know. Did you try getting the dog whisperer? Caesar Milano? Was that his name? Probably. He might be able to teach referee. Yes, he also makes the best chocolate crackery things that are super expensive and like there's five of them in the package but the package costs like eight dollars thank you caesar milano to sort of bring things home it seems like a lot of our media kind of set this groundwork down all the way from let's say the oldest franchise captain planet back in the 90s which we were pretty young for that one then you get stuff like final fantasy 7 in the late 90s and then you get Splatoon in the early 2010s. It's kind of unavoidable. There's always this eco-message and always the media that kind of helps ease you into the idea of understanding that the stuff we do can have an impact, particularly with the environment. And it just kind of plays around in those spaces. Every time we mess something up, we just get a little bit closer. 
to killing ourselves. Hey, humans, I think we can do better than this. Let's not pull a Chernobyl and make ourselves all go Geiger. So before we sign off, Mike, do you have a question for our audience? Yeah, the question I have is going to kind of adhere to the theme for the evening. What is your favorite environmental game, and why is it Duke Nukem and Doom? (laughs) Okay, I don't think I can top that one, but my question is, listeners, who would you say is the most powerful of the Planeteers, and why is it Mati? I already know the answer to that one. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening again to Banter Banter. We would be ever so grateful if you shared this podcast with a friend, anyone who would listen to it, or if your platform allows it, toss us a rating. Are we good? Are we bad? Put us together, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. Just remember to take care of yourselves. Yes, there is vaccine, but still, if you have to go out, wear a mask. Don't touch your face. Wash your hands. And you said, don't be a Geiger monster? Don't be a Geiger monster. Because then we'll have to get the giant robots to punch you back into the other worlds. Atlantic Rim, baby! You know, like being on fire, right? Isn't that what happened? Come chat with us about the episode by reaching out to us on any of our socials. You can find us on Facebook at Banter BanterCast or on Twitter at Banter underscore cast. You could find Manny at Brogar C-R-E. You could find Aaron at 8BitWizard. The 8 is Roman numerical. You can find me on Twitter at Mike8Time, the number 8. The podcast cover art is brought to us by at Easy Louisi, based off of original artwork by Bobbin underscore goblins, also on Twitter. The opening and closing are from the most mysterious song on the internet. Help us figure out the mystery of who this belongs to.